We want to be right at Covenant Reformed Church. So we value truth. Because we value truth, our tradition values catechetical instruction in the evening service. We're all familiar. The evening service usually studies is a study of our creeds, our confessions, particularly the Heidelberg Catechism. And our intern has been going and taking us through the canons of Dort. And we value doctrinal preaching because we da- value doctrine. And we like doctrine because doctrine give us, gives us right thinking. We want to be right. We want right thinking so that we have right practices. We want right practices so that we have right living. We want to be right with the Lord. So we study truth. We study doctrine. Things, however, don't always turn out so right. You may have the right life. Nevertheless, this world is not right. The world is not right. So things can easily go wrong no matter how true your doctrine is. No matter how true Things just don't always turn out right. So we need wisdom. We need doctrine, but we need wisdom. We need understanding. We need truth. We need doctrine, but we also need understanding as Christians. We need to know how to understand and how to live this life under the sun. So it's valuable to study wisdom as well as doctrine. It's valuable to study wisdom. The study of wisdom is catechetical itself. Studying the wisdom literature is a type of catechism. I'm basically making an argument for putting away the Heidelberg Catechism for a while and studying Ecclesiastes, and I want you to know we're still going to be studying. It's still going to be a catechetical, it still will be catechetical instruction as we make our way through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes and study wisdom. Now, contrary to post-modernity, truth is not relative. Truth is a one-size-fits-all, and we're absolutely sure of that. Truth is, one size fits all. It's not relative. But context is different. How we apply truth is not so easy. Our environment is flux. Our environment is in flux, and circumstances change. So how we apply truth is not always as formulaic as one plus one equals two. Truth is always one plus one equals two, but how we apply that truth is not always as formulaic. Right? Context is not only relative, your context is filled with contradictions. Contradictions abound in life. Life like language, life like in language, life, there are just so many exceptions in life to life. There's so many exceptions to every rule. Life is not black and white, and young people need to understand that. Life is not black and white. Get that quickly, young people. It's muddy, life is gray. So you can't just hand your failing neighbor a proverb and walk away like it's all good. You can't just say, oh, here's truth, and walk away like everything's okay. Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train up a child. You hear the math? It's very formulaic. Train up a child. Amen. Yes. Train your children. In the way that he should go, one plus one, train your children in the way that he should go equals he'll have a good life. It will turn out well with your child. He will not depart from the truth. Train your children in truth. Yes, amen, live the Proverbs, but don't be a simpleton. 
Life doesn't always happen as planned. Things don't always work out as they should. This world is not a happy ending. So even the godliest parents among us can lose children to the world. And what do we do? What do we do when things don't turn out as planned, when things don't happen as they're supposed to, when life doesn't turn out as expected, when the formula doesn't work? What do we do when the formula doesn't work? Pentecostals are right off your faith when the formula doesn't work, right? That's the Pentecostal answer. Well, it's your faith, brother. You need stronger faith. When the formula doesn't work, the evangelical will bombard you with slogans. When God closes doors, he opens a window. And the immature Christian will call you harder, to try harder. You need to do harder next time, brother. Work harder. You'll get there. And Ecclesiastes says no. Ecclesiastes will call you to a mature life. It calls to maturity. It calls for an examined life. Ecclesiastes destroys the nativity of life. When it says the righteous will die as well as the wicked, you can't just barge in with a proverb. Ecclesiastes says, no, you have to sit. You have to sit with the person in pain. You have to wait. You have to listen. You have to examine the problem. Ecclesiastes will call you to empathy. It will call you to patience, and it will call you to self-control. Ecclesiastes destroys triteness. It abhors Christian sloganeering. It mocks sentimentalism because sentimentalism is dishonest. Sometimes houses don't have windows. And sometimes the house is on fire. Then what? Then what? What do you do when life doesn't turn out as expected? What are you going to do when things don't turn out as expected? That's the question I want to answer this evening. The sermon boils down to this. What are you going to do when things don't turn out as expected? And let's look at Ecclesiastes before this sermon becomes one long introduction. Ecclesiastes, verse 1, the words of the preacher. The words of, the phrase, the words of, establishes the genre of Ecclesiastes. It's our ancient father's way of introducing wisdom literature. So when you read the Proverbs, it begins the Proverbs of. When you read the Song of Solomon, it begins the Songs of Songs. The Proverbs, the wisdom literature, it's a collection, a collection of carefully crafted words. Carefully crafted words of wisdom. So, for example, the Song of Songs is Wisdom for Lovers, rated M for Mature. (laughs) All right, you young people, I know what you're reading tonight. The book of Proverbs is Wisdom for Young People in a Crooked World. Proverbs is Wisdom for Young People in a Crooked World. Shows you the right way, the right path, the formula to good living, to right living, to the right life. The Proverbs are about right living, so formulaic. Do this and it will go well with you. But then we read the book of Job, which is, li- which is another type of wisdom literature, the book of Job. We know Job, right? Follow the formula better than most. Follow the formula better than anyone in his day. 
Yet it didn't turn out so straight for Job, did it? You can take the right path, yet the way is so crooked, and it doesn't always work out. You can cry out in despair. You can cry out, why me, O Lord? You can whine, you can moan, or you can just simply sit and read the words of the preacher. Read the words of the preacher, and you'll realize that that's just the way it goes sometimes. Things don't turn out as expected. And there's nothing wrong with your faith if you suffer necessarily. And I think that's really the genius of Ecclesiastes. The genius of Ecclesiastes is that it teaches us that there's not necessarily something wrong with your faith if you suffer. The genius of Ecclesiastes is that suffering is part of your faith. Your faith is suffering, dear Christian. And the genius of Ecclesiastes is that there is nothing wrong with your faith. It's telling us there's nothing wrong necessarily with your faith just because things don't turn out as expected. You follow the formula, it doesn't work. It doesn't mean you've lost faith. It just means you're alive. <laughs> and you're living in this world, a fallen world. The words of the preacher, the words of. When you learn a new discipline, you learn the rules. When you learn science or a new discipline, any kind of discipline, you got to go learn the rules, right? you got to sit down, and the professor has to say, these are the rules. Master the material, and you study the material until it becomes yours. And then once you've mastered the material that the professor's given you, you come to class one day, and the professor says to you, yeah, ignore all those rules. <laughs> It doesn't really work like the rules say. It doesn't always work. Sometimes the rules don't even matter. That's what that you pull your hair out when you go learn language, especially when you learn the English language. You learn the English language, you learn the rules, and they'd be like, yeah, we don't really follow the rules. And there are always exceptions to the rules. But you've got to learn the rules. Got to learn the rules. Got to study Proverbs. Proverbs 10.4 says, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes you right. Young people, learn the Proverbs. Work hard. That's the formula. Work hard. You want to be rewarded? You want to get stuff? You want to own? You want to have? Work hard. Be rewarded. But Ecclesiastes comes along and says, yeah, but it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes the slack hand inherits a fortune from some distant relative while the diligent loses it all because of some expect, unexpected disaster. The rule doesn't always work. The tidy little formula didn't work. You should abhor tidy little formulas. If anybody puts anything in a perfect little box with a tiny little bow and says, here it is, here's life. <laughs> I love when they do history too, they'll do history. Here's, here's, a, tightly little, here's a tidy little picture of history. <laughs> oh, my friend. Life is not black and white. It's muddy. It's gray. What are you going to do when things don't turn out as expected? In the words of the preacher. The traditional English translation of the preacher goes back to Luther. Luther's rendering of the Hebrew word Kohelet. We're going to hear that word a lot, Kohelet. That's the preacher, Kohelet. Why preacher? Preacher because of the name Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is the Greek word. It's a Latin transliteration of the Greek word for assembly, this is an, we're in Ecclesiastes, right? The study of Ecclesiastes is the study of church. In the Greek, the Old Testament stands for a gathered assembly of God's people. The root word for Kohelet, the actual Hebrew word Kohelet, 
The root is the Hebrew word to gather or to assemble. So Solomon assembled. He coheld the elders of Israel. And he addressed, he coheled the assembly of God's people. Thus, Kohelet could be thought of one who gathers God's people to be addressed. Thus, he is the preacher. And he is gathering his people. Kohelet is gathering us here today to teach us words of wisdom. The words of the preacher, the son of David. He's the son of David. He doesn't necessarily have to be a literal son, by the way, in the Hebrew. You don't actually have to be necessarily the son of someone to be the son of someone in Hebrew. You could be the son. You could be the grandson. You could be a distant relative. You could be a Judahite. You could just simply be a Jew, the son of. But Ben David, the Hebrew word for son of, usually literally means the son of David when this expression is used. And most often in Scripture, the son of David is most notably linked to Solomon. Solomon. Only three times does the expression refer to some other son than Solomon. And Solomon is actually never introduced in this text. The book's never introduced as Solomon as the author. He's never mentioned explicitly in the book, but there's no doubt that the author wants us to believe that this is, in fact, Solomon. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. That's an important phrase, king in Jerusalem. This means it has to be Solomon. Verse 12 says, I, the preacher, I, Kohelet, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. King over Israel in Jerusalem. That has to be Solomon because after Solomon's reign, no other king reigns over Jerusalem or reigns over Israel in Solomon. Why? Why no other king Bible trivia, what happens to the kingdom after Solomon's reign? He has two sons, and sons are always the problem, right? Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and the kingdom's divided, so there's necessarily never again a king in Jerusalem over Israel. So it has to be Solomon. Only David and Solomon ruled in Israel, and there were no other kings, and and no other king has the wealth and wisdom that we're going to see in this text like that of King Solomon. But, however, saying all of that, most scholars believe that it is not Solomon, that Solomon is not the author. It is believed to be a fictional royal autobiography, and I don't want to get lost in the arguments. It's safe to agree with J.I. Packer, who said whether Solomon, I quote, whether Solomon himself was the preacher or that the preacher put his sermon into Solomon's mouth is a didactic device, it need not concern us. The sermon is certainly Solomonic because it teaches lessons that Solomon had unique opportunities to learn. So as we study the book of Ecclesiastes, I'll be telling the story through the lens of Solomon. I believe that's how the author of the story wants us to interpret the book. The words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, and now a phrase we're going to become very familiar with, vanity of vanities, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. We're going to get real familiar with this vanity. It's the Hebrew word hevel. Hevel occurs 73 times in the Bible. 73 times in the Bible, 38 of those times are in the book of Ecclesiastes. Hevel literally means air or vapor. 
It means air or vapor, but it's not that easy to understand. It means really that life is incomprehensible. It means life is unknowable, mysterious, ironic, enigmatic, that is puzzling. It means life is absurd. It means life is short. It means life is empty. Hevel, the author will say, is like pursuing the wind. You can't ever reach it. You can never achieve catching the wind. You can't catch it. Hevel means there's no chance for success in this world. It means life is unpredictable at best and arbitrary at worst. And Hevel, Hevel is Kohelet's cosmology and anthropology. That's what you have to recognize. Hevel is Kohelet, the preachers. It's his cosmology. It's what he thinks of the world. The world is basically meaningless. It's absurd. It's unpredictable. But more importantly, Hevel is Kohelet's anthropology. You see, it's the heart of man that's incomprehensible. It's the heart of man that's unknowable, mysterious, ironic, enigmatic, and absurd. And therefore, Hevel is always negative. It's negative. All that humanity is, does, and experiences on earth is negative. The world is devil's field. Or as Paul writes in Romans, the whole earth, the whole creation groans. And the whole creation groans because it's all vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Hevel is Kohelet's cosmology and anthropology. But it is not. Hevel is not Kohelet's eschatology. Life in this fallen world is hard and confusing, but there is peace in the life to come. The goal is the only constant in life, the goal that we try to achieve. It's the only constant in life. Everything changes, but the goal never moves. The pursuit of heaven is difficult and fleeting, but the joy of heaven, the hope of heaven is always the same. And it's what gets us through the hevel. And dear friends, eschatology is not simply about end times. Eschatology is about life now. Eschatology covers our world now. Right now, you have your only comfort in life and in death in your faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's eschatological. The truth of Christ is, is, is not just the truth for the future. It's not just this hope that we have in the future that we'll have future hope, that we have future life, that we have future hope and comfort, body and soul, but it's the comfort that Christ gives us now. It's not I who live, but Christ in me. That's eschatology for today because eschatology is the study of our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who is true who is the yes and amen of all God's promises, and he is the truth, the perfect truth, the same yesterday, today, and forever, without change. And Christ has destroyed Hevel. In the resurrection, everything's made right, and you are forever right with God. Because of Christ and his work on the cross, you are the righteousness of God, justified, Justified, you are being made right with your neighbors, sanctified. Already we have peace. We have this one constant on earth. When everything's hevel, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Yes, but there's one constant. 
We have this one constant on earth, but not yet. Our context is still in flux, but it's not our world. We are exiled to this dying world, but we have a constant. We have the opposite of Hevel. The opposite of Hevel is something easy, sure, safe, knowable, comprehensive, attainable, perfect, forever. And that constant is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when things don't go as expected, remember that Christ is the same yesterday and forever. What are you going to do when things don't turn out as expected? That's my question. And Kohel is going to preach to you throughout this study. He is going to preach to you patience and faith. With patience and faith, you can weather every storm and get through the mud patience and faith, dear Christian. And you can, you can go through every trial. The answer to every trial, to Hevel, is to trust Christ and wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for the gospel. Wait for Christ's answer. Wait for it's all vanity, but the gospel is the only constant. And thus, Jesus Christ is our only comfort. And how do you live in the die of this joy of this comfort? Three things. You must know three things, but that's the Heidelberg Catechism. And her catechism is not very far off from Reformed preaching. Christ is our only comfort in life and in death. That is our only hope in this ever-changing world of vanities. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.